the Askell Business Brunch. Hello and welcome to Askell's Business Brunch podcast. My name's Hayley Dunn and I'm Askell's Business Leadership Specialist. Hello everybody, I'm Julia Harden and I'm Askell's Funding Specialist. And Julia and I are absolutely delighted to be joined by a special guest on the podcast today. We're joined by Paul Edmund, who is going to be talking to us about sustainability, a topic that you know already that Julia and I are both really keen to keep discussing and to help um, practitioners in developing their practice and their knowledge in this area and to help uh, with learning from each other, because I think we're all really on a, on a journey with this. But there are lots of really practical things that you can do in your schools and your colleges. So, Paul, can I ask you to introduce yourself if you'd like to give a little bit of context about yourself and uh, your role and your involvement in sustainability. I can. Thanks Hayley. Um, so my name is Paul Edmund. I am the CFO at Heart Academies Trust in Bedford. Um, I'm also a trustee of the Diamond Learning Partnership, um, also sort of in, in the centre of England. Um, I, in addition, I am now a member of the board of the UK School Sustainability Network and I co-chair the uh, UK SSN Operations Group. Um, with Helen Burge, um, who is um, from Priory Learning Trust. Um, in terms of um, my background, so I um, originally worked an awful lot in the charity sector. So my background is really the charity sector. And I think that's what got me interested in sustainability. Um, I worked with international children's charities and international medical charities um, and working with, I, I guess, some of the most vulnerable groups particularly in um, sub-Saharan Africa, where you can really see the impact of climate change and the climate crisis on, on their lives and on their day-to-day -day lives. Um, I was in, I was fortunate enough to go to Gambia um, earlier this year, or revisit Gambia earlier this year, and you could see um, the children and the families. You, you don't have to go very far to see the impact it's having on them, whether it's they're having to dig deeper wells because they're running out of fresh water, or the kids are going out on the boats out to sea that much further because the um, the local sort of fish reserves are are drying up, so you can really see the impact. So I guess that's my my background and why I'm interested in it. Um, I confess I've also got a vested interest in it. I've got two little children, um, and you know I can I can I can see their future and how much more with 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 more chaotic climate, with more chaotic weather, um, with with I suppose we're now seeing it now in this country with slightly more vulnerable to food supplies. It doesn't take too much to think if we don't do something about this problem, my children are going to grow up really feeling this. Um, our house is on a floodplain and I only imagine if we don't do anything about it in 20, 30 years time, what impact that could have if, if we don't act now. So yeah, that's me. Gosh, thanks, Paul. I mean, there's loads of things in what you said already that I'd really like to hear more about. But I'm going to start um, with the uh, School Sustainability Network. You mentioned that you and Helen are, are co-chairs. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that, please? Of course. So uh, Helen and I are co-chairs of the operations group. So UKSSM was set up in 2021 and it's run by um, a lady called Jess Tipton. She's fantastic. Um, and it was originally put together to bring groups of uh, students and teachers together. So we know there's pockets across the country, up and down the country, of students and teachers who are very interested in climate and what they can do for climate and sustainability. And the idea behind UKSSM was to bring those groups together so they can collaborate with each other, they can learn from each other. And it, 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 for, the, for the students, actually, just a way of building their experience, building their knowledge, building, creating opportunities for them that wouldn't otherwise exist. 
So that was the real starting point for the UK SSM. In later in 2021, I think there's a realisation there's a whole cohort missing from that conversation, which if we're thinking just schools is the operations teams. So it's the it's those those teams in schools that actually perhaps manage the gas and electricity, do all do all the other things. Um, and that voice was wasn't there. So um, Jess and the team at UK SSN and Global Action Plan set up the operations group. And that's where me and Helen got involved in co-chairing that group. And the idea is to bring together school business leaders, operations leaders, um, finance leaders, um, the back office function to, to do something very similar, to collaborate, to, to share ideas and to support each other um, in trying to reduce the carbon footprint and improve the sustainability of our school network. I think that's, that's, that's so, sorry, Hayley. <laughs> please go on, Julia. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I really love the fact that it's that it's evolved already into something that covers, you know, all, all aspects of this. So there's the, the very clearly the innovation, but there's a, a recognition early on that that's got to be grounded in things that are possible, and you need your operations. Uh, team to do that i'm sorry i couldn't ha had to say it because it's it it's not often the case that things are so um uh, well formed so early on so that, that's super i'll be quiet now thanks i think that's, I, I think what's interesting as julia is is you've got the, the students the teachers and the operations working together actually there's another cohort that i think has started to join the operations group but i can see that expanding as well is the governors and trustees because okay. that group as well needs to be empowered and involved in the conversation um, so again it's building their knowledge and their their experience and what they need to do to have that influence in schools excellent thank you thanks I think as well, Paul, another um, a really, really important stakeholder in all of this is the government as well and, and how they play their part in setting appropriate government policy. I mean, what we've seen is uh, that they put a draft strategy out on sustainability and climate change for uh, schools and for the education sector, uh, which is now out in a finalised form. What are your views on that, that, that strategy and what it contains? Is it, is it focusing on the right things? I think it's... It's good we've got one. And I think that is a really big first step for the sector to actually have a strategy that's come out of government that talks very, very focused on climate and sustainability. And I think there's a lot of good ideas because they are focusing on, on the key areas around education, around green careers and skills and the operations side of it. So I think there's lots of good stuff in there. And I think it needs to be expanded and developed. The areas that I think are lacking in it for want of a better word that disappoint is it's um it's ambition and pace i just don't think it's ambitious enough we're talking about a climate crisis and and the time scale of what it's trying to do is is, is very to my mind it, it could be an awful lot faster um it lacks resource i think that's obvious and i think you talk up and down the country with the with all the other cost of living and inflation issues we're facing there's, there's no there's no new resources attached to that strategy um it lacks accountability so quite frankly most schools up and down the country other than the odd few large trusts that have to do some statutory reporting around carbon can can quite frankly ignore it at the moment they don't really have to do anything and that's a huge disappointment um and it lacks i think the ambition of getting more people to participate in it. Its ambition is to have one climate leader per school. 
Whereas actually, I think you know, UK SSN is a good example where you need collaboration within a school. You need collaboration across schools. You need teachers, you need career staff, you need operation staff, you need trustees. So to think you could just have one person that can drive all this and make such a fundamental cultural shift that will have the impact we need it to have, I think is it's it's too light in that. And I think it, it really needs it, it needs thinking about it needs real development. And I'd suggest it needs real development quite quickly. Thinking on that, I mean, you, you've touched there very, very clearly on, on, on several areas that are probably going to be could be perceived as barriers to engagement with this. But we're we're on the, the, the business brunch podcast here. So can I ask you if, if you've got what is your general sense um, of the the level of support from business leaders, trust leaders or CFOs across the country? Well, I, I mean, I'm fortunate. I, I do speak to a lot of CFOs and trust leaders and, and school business leaders. And as soon as you get onto onto this type of conversation, they are all really interested. And some are very, very passionate. Um, we see it through the speed of growth of the, the UK SSN operations group and the people wanting to be involved and participate in the conversation. So there is a lot of support and people do get it. Um, there is a range of understanding. I think some people get a, a real depth of understanding and for want of a better word have that carbon literacy they really understand the problem and some of the solutions and i think there's some that are the other end of that scale who kind of know there's a problem there but uh, have so many other priorities to deal with um you know your average school business leader has has huge number of priorities to deal with and they're all as important and when you get to climate which is more of a bit of a long-term thing it perhaps doesn't have that impact that it needs to have right now um so yes there's real interest but there isn't yet i think that there are so many barriers in the way at the moment um around resource around time around training that they just don't have potentially the capacity right now to give it the attention it needs Mm, that's 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 disappointing but i think i probably agree with you but yeah you're absolutely right i think the, the resource whether it be financial human or or in a uh, an educational resource it, it, that's got there's got to be a commitment to that hasn't there from the center really yeah absolutely and i think there's other there's other barriers that are outside our control uh, not just funding barriers when you think about um examples like um leases for schools um, where you think about salary sacrifice schemes um, for electric vehicles. There's all sorts of other things that just need to be stripped back. It needs somebody with a bit more of a vision to say, actually, grab hold of this. We, can have, we can't have a policy in isolation. We need to unpick some of these other barriers that sit around it um, to really allow our school leaders to have an impact. Speaking um, this week, Paul, to um, another business leader who um, their organisation is really fortunate. They've uh, got um, a school as part of the school rebuilding programme. And one of the questions that I asked them was, is there a renewed focus on sustainability, carbon, net zero? Because I think that's one of the areas that really worries me in terms of whether these targets are achievable. Yes, I get that the, the, uh, the, the, the new builds, there's a focus on it, but I think there's such a huge wave of the education estate and you've already alluded to some of the issues that there are with the strategy like with the resources i think one of the 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 absolutely fundamental issues is is the lack of capital funding available in order to upgrade the estate i mean what are your thoughts on that in terms of the um the targets that are being set and actually are we setting the education sector up to fail 
if, if they don't resource it and actually, like you say, make it a bit more time pressured and more accountable to move on some of this? I think we need to bang the drum on resources and we need to keep banging the drum on resources. And we do have um, the public sector decarbonisation scheme and there are other other elements of funding, but there's not there's clearly not enough. Um, do I think, though, that um, achieving net zero and achieving a real impact is achievable? Absolutely. Um, we are 100 percent. We are in 2022. We have time, not a lot. and We need to act quickly. But we have time to make um, the changes we need. And a lot of this change is it's behavioural, it's cultural, it's how we act and how we think about things. Climate change can't be just an add on. It can't be something else. It has to build into everything we do, um, everything from procurement to job descriptions to you know, all, all the way through a school and a trust and an organisation needs to have that green um, thread um weaved through it so yes it can be done we, we saw we you know we've seen um through covid we saw through when you know was it 30 40 years ago now that when we had um, the issues with the ozone layer and cfcs when people come together and they want to make a difference and there's a real problem people can come together and make a difference and they can do it quickly um so i don't believe this is an insurmountable problem but I do think it's going to take all of us working together and thinking in a different way um, to really make that difference. Okay. And, and I guess, you know, the, the right place to start is by engaging the children and young people that, that those of us in educate that work in the education sector have got the privilege of, of working with and, and working for, if you like. So in your your involvement with UKSSN and, and, and conversations about sustainability more broadly so where would you where would you gauge um the support from children and young people and their interest in sustainability very interested i think um i'd sort of take you back to um 2020 and unicef did a a survey i think it's about forty five thousand children um and asked them about climate and the climate crisis and i think 95 percent of them came back and said they were really concerned about it um, Ninety percent of them said not enough was being done. Um, I'm fortunate as a UK SSN board is, I think, a great model because it's I, I sit on it as a sort of representative of operations and business, but there's um, students sit on it as a rep representing the student voice, uh, and I get to hear them and hear their concerns and hear their ideas and hear what they they want to see happen. And ultimately, this is a problem that adults need. This is a problem that adults need to solve, not children uh, and young people. But the young people have a real voice in this. And there is concern um, and anxiety itself and, and climate anxiety is a whole of the problem that I think we all need to really think about and, and be able to support teachers and support our communities in addressing. Um, but yeah, that, there's absolutely interest in it. And there's a real voice there that says we need to do things differently because ultimately you know if this uh, you know I'm I'm in my 40s now this is this is going to impact them a lot more than it impacts me and it'll impact their children a lot more than it impacts them unless we do something about it very very quickly even in your response to, to my question which I don't think I phrased very well now because I asked you about interest tonight and and actually the the your response you talked about concern and the need to do something and that's really quite a different thing isn't it and I thank you for that I shall talk about it differently now when I think about that because it is they are concerned which is much more serious 
perhaps than you know being interested in something so yeah thanks for that you've really that really come across loud and clear thanks I think we heard that when we had um, Phoebe Hansen, who was the uh, the young climate activist that I that I think sits on some of the groups and was at the launch of the DFE's uh, sustainability strategy. And that's where she was coming from. She was talking about the concern, the anxiety that there is, but also as well things like greenwashing as well. And I think that's where business leaders have got a really strong uh, role to play in in working out what's right for your context and um, what what's the right things to put in place and and i think we're really good at dealing with the, with those sorts of things and it makes me think paul about some of the sort of the skills and the expertise is there anything particularly that you think schools uh, need or, or are there particular skills that business leaders are bringing to the table in terms of how they're influencing what's happening in their schools and trusts i think there's two things i mean i think there is an absolute need for a more um structured cpd for, for all staff, um, for operation staff particularly, but for all staff um, that really thinks about, that, that, that gets a real understanding of what emissions and the, 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 the causes of some of these problems, not just the emissions going into the atmosphere, but the damage we do to the, the carbon sinks that we have, um, the, the forests and the oceans and the peat bogs that take this carbon out. and and. I think having a better understanding that, uh, that the sort of the carbon literacy um, needs upskilling in, in everyone. Um, I think historically um, we've seen committees within schools getting together and trying to do something green. And very often it just focuses on recycling because that's a, that's a nice, a nice easy win and everyone feels quite good about it. And recycling is really important. Um, but actually, we need to stay, take it a, a step back from that and say, what's going to have the biggest impact? Well, actually, not buying it in the first place has the biggest impact. Um, then can we reuse it? And there's great little initiatives around left, right and centre about how we reuse things rather than just throw them away in the recycling. But stepping back from that, it's actually what has the biggest impact on our carbon footprint? And really, then it's an understanding of our. If I if I, if I talk about Project Drawdown for a second, which is a which is a nonprofit um, who do uh, lots of experts in climate and, and sustainability and the science behind it, and they do a lot of work in understanding and and sort of explaining to us what's the biggest impact things we can do to make a difference. And actually, it's thinking around um, our energy use. It's thinking around um, our food waste. And our catering, um, it's thinking around our diets and the plant-based diets that we need to start moving towards. And I think if we can start building literacy, building a better understanding so everyone gets a better understanding of what they can do, um, then we'll start making a real impact. So I think literacy um, is really, really important. I think there's other things that operations people can bring to the table. We're very good generally at gathering data and tracking data. And I think data is in many ways very very important so you can actually get a better understanding from a carbon point of view where you are now what's your footprint now and then start measuring what impact you're having going forward um, but that takes you know data skills um, i think skills around and if you speak to any operations people they'll tell you that actually understanding energy and how energy is used and how energy is procured is a, is a whole skill in itself. Um, and so we do have a lot of those skills in the sector and I think we can draw on them as well. Um, procurement frameworks, um, you, you mentioned Hayley about greenwashing. 
where it's thinking about how do our procurement frameworks in the sector work and are they asking those questions can we rely on our procurement frameworks to do that work um, in terms of assessing what is greenwashing what's what's really improving the planet and what is just a nice bit of PR um, but if, if our frameworks can't do that and we don't use frameworks for everything can we do that so as an operations person can I have the skills my procurement literacy to be able to to ask those challenging questions with suppliers and actually get underneath the answers as well um, so I think there's a lot there to do we've already we've already mentioned um, climate anxiety uh, and being able to the, the, the skill around addressing people's climate anxiety and 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 seeing that as something that does need to be thought about um, so there's lots there um, do we have the skills required not in every case not not everywhere absolutely not but I think that there are areas that we really need to focus on to up that level um, so we can all start making a real difference are there any particular types of school or context that you think uh, are going to require additional support because of the nature of the organization or is it more generic than that and it's just some schools will be better will have a, a better skill set than others and we need to just find those and, and help them i would say i think larger trusts will have an advantage in the sense they've got more people and more skills and more knowledge that they can share around and they, they can spread this problem around multiple people um i'd say the real the areas that are going to need the additional support is the the this sort of small schools the independent schools um that are slightly more isolated um the um small sats so the small single academy trusts particularly now as we come out of covid and we've got so many other challenges and priorities those those staff get spread very very thinly um so i think they're going to need a lot of help and support um again the small trusts the specific problems around PFI schools and the rules that dictate around PFI schools and they need to be unpicked. Um, so there are this. You're absolutely right, Julia. There are pockets that will find this and much more challenging than others. But I'd say everyone across the board, um, this is a big challenge. And I think that there's going to need to be that um, change of focus from big trusts to small trusts and ideally seeing some of those those bigger trusts being able to step in and support um, those smaller trusts and support networks and support things like UK SSN. So it's feeling what, what we really need to, to, to try and sort of influence is that this strategy becomes something that is part of every policy discussion and not a bolt on or a, a standalone because it seems that only that way are we going to make sure that everybody's got what they need and we talk about in funding we see everybody has access to what they need to succeed and in a way this is a similar sort of thing isn't it because you you need the skills um and and the resource to get Ab this absolutely it's got to cut it cuts across if it's just yeah. a bolt-on it won't work because bolt-ons no. don't generally drive cultural change in organizations absolutely and if i if i use the example of um i suppose you know, this is absolutely not my area of expertise, but on the teaching side of it, if, if climate change and climate action are taught in very narrow, it only, you know, perhaps it's just the science teacher that talks about it, um, they might get something out of it, but actually you need the science teacher, you need the, the, the geography teacher, you need the, the English teacher and the art teacher and the drama teacher, because actually a lot of this is about winning hearts and minds. Yeah. And, and the people who will do that aren't the science, that, no disrespect to scientists, I'm a science background myself, 
but they're not going to be the people that win the hearts and minds. It's the great communicators. It's the great, it's the people who step up and really make an emotional connection with someone that make the difference. Um, so it does, it cuts across everybody and it needs to involve everybody in the in, in the conversation. So it's an inclusive conversation um, that brings everybody on board. And for those, Paul, who are just like listening to you and thinking, I haven't even got started with this. I don't know where to start. And you've talked about some great examples of some of the practical stuff that you can do, like focusing on waste, on food, on energy. Where would you start? If you were literally starting with a blank piece of paper today, where would you advise people to go first? I would um, very much first, I'd join UK SSN, so UK School Sustainability Network, because I think when you do, you, you realise there's an awful lot of resources and people out there that will support you. Um, I think, like I said, this is about changing the culture and values, so I think you, you do need to be starting to talk about it in that context. I think you need to start thinking about a climate strategy for your own school or your own trust. So if you haven't got one, you might have an estate strategy that perhaps talks about climate. Um, but I actually think this needs a climate strategy. Read the DfE climate strategy and, and think about how that relates to your context. The very first things I'll be doing is starting to gather data. So I'll be looking at the data I've got and trying to build that baseline of energy usage, water usage, what are we doing, waste usage, what, you know, what, what, is, our, how do we, what is our waste management? Um, I'd be thinking about other things like um, Let's Go Zero. Uh, it's another organisation you can sign up for. And again, a great, great, great source of resources there. Um, thinking about eco clubs. Does your school have an eco club? Get the people and get the people who have an immediate passion for this. And they, they'll probably come from all over the place to get involved with it. So I'm sure there'll be students and young children that want to be involved with it because they have that interest. But you know doesn't scout around the school and see who's got a passion for it because the more people involved the better and i suppose very early on i'd be looking out in the community look at the local community because i guarantee in the local community there will be people that'll be doing things on this that have a real interest and i think the schools being often the heart of a community if you can get that community engagement again it's more people bring more ideas and are there any quick wins i'm thinking you know if you're in a in a minority in your organisation, but you know you need to get this going, what would be the quick wins that you might look to, to, to engage people? I think at the moment, because we're in this um, cost of living and inflation crisis as well, I think there's a quick win there in terms of the conversation can start that climate change in and of itself is really important um, to, to sort of save our future, but it's very much tied in to how we spend our money at the moment. Um, so if you think about energy usage, um, the, the investment you make um, in reducing your energy usage, your gas and electricity will pay back, guaranteed, guaranteed it will pay back. Um, I'd be thinking about, so energy, I'd be getting advice and talk, if you've got an advisor, get an advisor. If not, there's organizations like um, Energy Sparks who are there to support schools. Uh, and support you in helping reduce your energy usage and finding out, you know, quite often that when you start looking at your energy usage, you find, oh, we're using it out of hours, we're using it at weekends, we're using it at holidays, and you start really addressing some of that. So you're saving money as well as saving the climate, which is a result. I'd be looking at catering um, straight away. One of the biggest impacts on, on climate, uh, um, the climate crisis is food waste. It's right up there near the top. So what are you, whether you've got in-house catering or you've got external caterers, um, so it's outsourced, 
what are they doing with that food waste? Uh, we've started a project at our own trust where um, any any food that's left over at the end of the day, um, as long as it's as long as it's you know healthy and safe food, is is reparcelled up and distributed through a charity to the community. Now we know there's people in the community that need that food, and it's it's outrageous to think that that food could, in other words, just get get chucked in the bin. Um, so we are saving ourselves in having to get that food waste taken away. We are supporting our local community, which is hugely important at the moment. And we are reducing our carbon footprint at the same time. I'd be looking at your, your menus. So I'm not going to sort of sit here and say every menu should be a vegan menu, um, but a move towards a plant-based menu, as long as it's healthy and nutritious. And we know there's there's groups of children out there um, that desperately need their lunch at school to be healthy and nutritious. It's got to stay healthy and nutritious as a priority. But if we can move towards a more plant-based diet or perhaps replacing some of the red meat with white meat and fish, you can start to reduce the carbon footprint of your organization quite quickly and actually save yourself some money there as well. Um, one last one, I'll probably look at grounds. Um, we spend an awful lot of money paying people to, to mow every blade of grass in, in the grounds, whereas actually getting the children, getting the students, getting, getting people involved in how is there, is there better ways of managing our grounds that A, don't cost us money so we're not paying for somebody to come in, but just improve the biodiversity um, and give, give, give the plants and animals a, a chance to grow and thrive. Now, we obviously, we still need safe spaces for children to play sport again incredibly important but there is a balance to be had and i'm sure there's an awful lot of space out there that is currently uh, being mowed or having pretty harsh chemicals poured on them to kill away kill away the wild the wild um, weeds that actually could be used in a very different way so they're they're the areas i think in terms of quick wins and probably engaging the community as a last one just go out and talk to the community go out and find whoever else is doing this and Yankees quick wins, but so powerful. I mean, I've, got, I've been scribbling away here. That, that was uh, fantastic. Thanks. So many great examples there, Paul. And thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure there are going to be people who are going to listen to this and would really like to reach out either to connect with you or to connect with the group. What's the best way for them to do that? Um, so, yes, get involved with UKSSN if you can. So you can reach me on my email address, which is pedmond at heartacademiestrust.co.uk. Best way to do it is join the UKSSN Ops Group, which is if you want to email, that's opsgroup at ukssn.org.uk. We do have a LinkedIn and Twitter presence. So if you go onto LinkedIn, you can just look up UKSSN Operations Group and you'll find the group. On Twitter, it is at UKSSN underscore ops group, and you'll find them on there. And if all that fails, hopefully not, hopefully you'll be able to find us with one of those. Um, if you go for get in touch at UKSSN.org.uk, they will certainly point you in the right direction. Oh, thank you so much, Paul. That's been absolutely fantastic. And we'd love to have you back sometime to talk about this further. I'd love to. Thank you. The Askle Business Brunch.